Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Brian Post um, online devotional. For those of you that have been following along, you know we have been going through the book of Corinthians and we're going to continue today with 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. I'm just going to go ahead and jump in uh, to the text as is my usual custom. Paul begins by saying all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the, mar- in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, This was offered to idols. Do not eat for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's, and all of its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other, for why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with with thanks, why am I evil spoken of? For the food over which I give thanks. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense, either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, seeking not my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Today we're going to delve into Paul's final reflection on meat's sacrifice to idols. In our previous discussion, we explored Paul's perspective on the legality versus the edification of actions, emphasizing that while all things may be lawful, not all things are beneficial or constructive. It's crucial to note that when Paul speaks of, of all things being lawful for me, he isn't referring to adherence to the Mosaic law. He clarifies that actions like murder, theft, or adultery are not within this realm of permissibility. Paul's discourse on the permissibility of actions specifically pertains to consuming meat sacrificed to idols. He suggests that if someone eats meat offered to an idol, recognizing that the idol holds no real power and that all things come from the one true God, they can do so with a clear conscience. Essentially, for those who understand the supremacy of Jesus Christ, partaking in such meat poses no moral dilemma. However, Paul underscores that freedom must be balanced with love. While one may have the liberty to eat according to their conscience, they should consider the impact on others, particularly those with weaker consciences who may be distressed by witnessing such behavior. Paul distinguishes between consuming such meat and engaging in actual idolatry, cautioning against any form of idol worship. But moving forward, Paul advises that if you encounter meat in the marketplace that has been offered to idols, it's permissible to purchase it, bless it, and prepare it for consumption. However, if someone alerts you to its sacrificial origins out of concern for their conscience, Paul advises reframing from eating it for the sake of that person's sensitivity. Now, Paul stresses the importance of balancing personal freedom with considerations for the well-being of fellow believers, advocating for a stance of love and sensitivity in matters of conscious and religious practice. Well, today the principle remains consistent. Our decisions should always stem from love. 
the overarching message of the New Testament revolves around love, a theme intricately woven through the epistle to the Corinthians and reaching its pinnacle in chapter 13. But here in verses 29 and 30, Paul poses questions that resonate with us today. We might rephrase them thus. Why should my freedom be judged by someone else's conscience if I partake with gratitude? Why am I condemned for the food that I bless? These dilemmas arise when a group's norms clash with individual conscience. Unrelated to biblical sin, but rather to community-defined sins. And we've encountered churches where membership entailed abstaining from activities like going to movies, smoking, or drinking alcohol. Actually diverging from biblical definitions of sin. So, the Bible does not uh, explicitly label activities like movie-going, smoking, or alcohol consumption as sins. However, some Christian groups deem them sinful, risking eternal consequences for indulgence. Even within such contexts, individuals may rightfully question the imposition of others' conscience on their freedom. But Paul identifies those with weaker consciences as those unable to partake in certain actions without discomfort. In today's context, this could manifest in issues like alcohol consumption. Regardless of the reason behind one's conscience, Paul highlights the struggle of those with weaker consciences. However, this doesn't apply to actual sin. The Bible defines sin as transgressions of the law, knowing and failing to do what is good, and then actions that are not done in faith. The crux of the matter here lies in the conflict of believers' conscience with one deeming something sinful while another does not. Love for others supersedes personal liberty, a truth that we've grappled with for decades in the church, but love indeed does outweigh personal freedoms. Yet, there's a delicate balance. While we shouldn't be swayed solely by others' opinions, love dictates considering the collective conscience of our fellowship. In the past, we've briefly fellowshiped with a group that emphasized women wearing head, uh, that emphasized women should wear head coverings, a practice that was not familiar to us. And though it wasn't a conviction for us, we, because it wasn't a conviction for us, we refused to conform to their collective conscience. But during this time, a visiting minister enlightened us on the group's importance in this practice, and despite our freedom, adhering to this act, wearing head coverings, became an act of love for the collective conscience of our fellowship. Ultimately, love guides us in navigating the tensions between individual liberty and the communal conscience within our daily interactions and fellowship.